Like Family with Brenda Donoghue. Welcome to this special edition of Like Family, where we listen to some great conversations I've had with families in Ireland about faith, about belief. What we believe in is very important. I think God is uh, always looking after us. And non-belief. It was kind of a progression from lapsed to non-practicing to eventually saying, I don't actually believe in any of this. And you can join the conversation on Twitter at Brenda Donoghue or email brenda at rte.ie. Ianella is an Orthodox Christian from Romania. Christian Orthodoxy is the fastest growing religion in Ireland in recent years. So, Inger, Inger, Ashul. Ragate. Lagte. La. La. In her kitchen in Kildare, she's teaching her son Christian a traditional Romanian prayer. Mare. Mare. Yo sunt. Yonela lives 55 kilometres from the nearest Romanian Orthodox Church, so her home is the centre of her faith. So the prayer is uh, for protection. It's called um, Angel, My Little Angel. And it's uh, asking the, the angel, if I'm small, you make me big. If I'm uh, weak, you make me strong and protect me everywhere. Is this a prayer you say every day? Yeah, or? yeah every, every evening before going to bed. Yonella, before we sit down yeah. and even chat, I notice on your fridge here, the fridge magnets, we have some religious icons. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about them? Yeah, in the church, we have loads of icons mm. in the Christian Orthodox churches. Virgin Maria, Jesus Christ, and uh, loads of saints as well. And we have them in the house. I have one in the living room. We have one upstairs. So usually in the evening we pray, look at the, the icon. Uh, so they are very important. In your house here, does it give you comfort? Yeah, mm. yeah. And I, I have the feeling that God is there in the icons. For some reason. Someone said to me that being an Orthodox Christian is not just about religion. It's nearly a whole way of life. We would pray in the morning, in the evening, then we'd light the candle every day. Just uh, where is it? Where is it lit here? Can I see? Just, yeah, oh, I see. You have it just over yeah, your kitchen. Yeah, yeah. It's in a beautiful candle yeah, holder. Yeah, it's yeah. And what does that symbolize, lighting the candle? To me, I feel like I'm praying to God even more like he's closer to me when I do that, by lighting the, the candle. So your kitchen, you've got fridge magnets with icons, you've got a candle lighting. Uh, there's uh, holy water, which what is agas- agasma in Romanian. Oh, okay. And we'd get it in the church. And then we'd take a sip every morning on uh, empty stomach. And then uh, there's something else, which is um, bread that you take with the, with the holy water as well uh, on the name, empty stomach in the morning. And then you get that at the confession as well. Is your faith important to you? It is very important, yeah. It's all we have and what we believe in is very important. I think God is uh, always looking after us. He's always there when you need him. And I want, uh, I want my son to, uh, to believe in, in God as well. 
And mm-hmm. how do you do that? How do you maintain it? Is it through prayer, prayers well, at night? Tr- through prayers and explaining him that everything he gets, everything he has, and everything we have is thanks to, to God and his, his goodness as well. So would you say that your religion is part of your identity? Yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. It's how we were born. Since I was a child, I remember going... Well, my, my granny was... Uh, bringing me to the church even though I was so small and I didn't have any patience I remember I had to stay in the church for a good few hours and listen to the priest and the mass back home would be quite long I remember it could last I think about three hours three four hours it was very boring <laughs> I have to say and I had to stand all the time so this this is how we were raised and I wouldn't know a life without it. Is it difficult for you to practice your religion in Ireland? Well, it is more difficult. It is more difficult because I can't uh, get to the church as easily as I was in Romania. Sometimes I feel the need to go, but I can't. I always have to plan when I go, and especially with the, with the boy. I miss, I miss going to the church. I miss going, especially like in Ash, we have the Metropolitan Cathedral. And when I go home, I always go there. Gives it gives me so much peace. And when I get out from the from the cathedral, I feel a different person, stronger and calmer as well. So who are we going to call now? Uh, we're gonna call my sister-in-law Roxana, who lived here, and they moved back to Romania. Hello, Roxana. Roxana missed the community, connection and identity that a close-knit parish can give. And this is one of her reasons for returning to Romania. Hi, Roxana. I'm Brenda. Hi, nice to meet you. Where are you at the moment? Um, I'm in Bucharest. Uh, I am looking at you through a video call. You're a Romanian Orthodox Christian, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And what does that mean? We believe in God, and we believe in Jesus Christ, as well as in Saint Mary. And uh, as Christians, it's very important for us to be baptized, since we are very small. And for us, Christmas and Easter are two very important Orthodox days. And I'm not talking now about presents. We have special Mass in the Church, and everybody's looking forward to this. We have four periods of Lent every year where we give up everything like dairy and meat. Yanella and I have been chatting and she came over here for the love of your brother and stayed but you lived over here but you went back to Romania and religion was a part of it. Can you tell me a little bit about your story and why you ended up back home? When we arrived in Ireland my husband got the contract, he's an IT professional, and we said that we'll only be there for two years, but we fell in love in, with the country, and we ended up staying there for seven years. Now, by the time my son was hitting the age to go to school in Romania, which is seven years old, uh, we had to make a decision if either we stay in Ireland until he will finish school, uh, or we are to go back home. 
Meanwhile, we had Sofia, she's an Irish citizen, she was born there, and um, we decided that uh, we want to teach our kids what it means to be a Romanian. We wanted them to know about our tradition, not only by what we were telling them about, by, by seeing them and sharing with the family. And religion was very important because uh, we are going to church nearly every Sunday. And uh, in Ireland, there was an Orthodox church, but it was quite far away. And we didn't really get to go there. And we were missing this. Like, we, we would have read, uh, you know, uh, prayers at home, but it's not the same. So part of our decision to get back, being there and being part of the community, and, you know, getting this relation with God, with the divinity, more... I wouldn't say official, but you just get part of the community and you have a, a sense of belonging. It's just, you cannot get this anywhere else in the world. Like, I think this is what, home. And this is home. I can see you're getting a little bit upset just even talking about home. <laughs> can you describe that powerful emotion for people and why you're so moved as you describe I suppose, being able to give your children the life that you want to give them. I think everybody who who just lived away from home understands exactly what I'm trying to say. Yes, and many Irish people will totally understand what you're saying, Roxana. Yeah, yeah. sorry. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's true. It's just home can only be, you know, where you find everything you need in your life. For us, it was just here. And that's why we decided to get back home. And do you feel closer to God that you're home? Or do you feel you're able to pass on your faith to your children? Oh, yeah. Like, so easy for, for the kids to understand because it's happening. You know, you just go there. You see other people. You see other kids. You don't learn it because I teach you. You leave it and it's just part of us, of who we are. I don't need to tell them, why do we go to church on Sunday? We just go, because it's part of us. Yunella's sitting here with me. Do you find it hard being away and listening to Roxana there, talking about how great it is for her to be home, to go to the church and all of that? Well, beside the church, we don't have as many churches here, but uh, to be honest, th this is my home. I got settled down here and I have to say, this is my home. Roxana, you seem to me like a very happy person now, especially that you're back home and you can practice your faith and enjoy it. Let's just say it's different and it's more like who we are. We can be ourselves much easier. Okay, Roxana, I've been in our museum. Sisters-in-law, Roxana and Yunella who are Romanian Orthodox Christians. I am attending afternoon prayers at the Dublin Mosque. While in the past, individual Muslims moved to Ireland, now there are many Irish-born Muslim families. After removing their shoes and performing ritual ablutions, the men enter the mosque downstairs 
and the women go to pray on the balcony above. After prayers, I meet Faisal, welcoming visitors to an open day at the mosque. You're very welcome here to the uh, Dublin Mosque on the uh, on the South Circular Road. Thank Hello. You. Hello. How are you? Uh, where Where are you from? From Mexico City. Okay, and yourself also? Oh yeah, from Mexico City also. Mm. Are you visiting Ireland? Um, no, actually, we're studying oh, here. Studying we're, here. We're doing a master uh, degree oh, okay. in journalism and. Um, for me, it's an MBA in Project Management. What prompted you to come to the mosque? Yeah? Oh, we pass here nearly every day. She okay. goes in Griffith College, and okay. we live in South Circular Road. So, oh, okay. so you see the mosque. Yeah, yeah. And we, when see, you we see it every day, but we were curious today. But yeah. When you pass by the mosque, do you feel that you might not be welcome if you came into the mosque? Do you feel that way? Yes, a little bit. I, I, I'm afraid I don't know all yes, the, yeah. the, the, the rules. The r- I don't want to be rude know, and do rude. something that I don't. Okay. Yes. So yes. That's one of the reasons now why we have this Discover Islam here. If you want to just walk into the mosque and even watch us pray, you are welcome to do so. And you, all you have to do, we're going to ask you is to take your shoes off. Yes. Yes. So many people come here, make sure you don't have any holes in your socks. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to be embarrassed about it. <laughs> the thing is that you separate uh, women and, and men, right? When just when you and, pray. And the only reason for that is, if you saw the way we pray, you saw it, Brenda, yeah. you saw the way we pray, we prostrate and we go right down, and it would be improper for a man to pray behind a woman who's prostrating. It's just out of respect for women that they are separate. That's why we put them above us. They're not downstairs below us in the bay. We don't put them in the basement. They go up on the balcony. Okay. And remember, you are very welcome at any time to come to the mosque, okay? Don't feel, if you want to come and have a meal in the restaurant, you have to pay for it, of course. But <laughs> you have to we will. We will. And I spot Ahmed his son. Hi, Ahmed. How are you? Good to see you. We're recording, so. What would you say is your earliest memory of being a Muslim? When we were in primary school uh, on our summer holidays, uh, my dad would usually bring me into work. I'd usually just play around the mosque. It was a lot bigger than from what I remember, but now those were good memories. I used to play around with my friends and you know, shoot rubber bands around the place. And, and that was the time introduced religion to me. Uh, just, uh, you know, sim- some simple steps of prayer. And um, sometimes we would pretend to be like uh, the imam and lead the prayer, you know. And we would stand up on the podium there when the mosque was empty. <laughs> Those were the earliest memories from what I can recall. How important is it in family life to practice the faith? I suppose... You know, I, I always pray for my children to be practicing Muslims because if by any chance I get to heaven, I would like them also to be with me in heaven. And I, and I think the most important thing is to believe, to hold on to what you believe. Because without your beliefs, I think you, you lose certain morals. I don't say you lose all your morals, but you lose a certain number. So for you, it's, it's very important to it's pass the faith down to your children to family, yeah. and to your family. It's, yeah. it's an obligation on me. Mm-hmm. It's something that I How will answer How do you do for. that? They come in here to the mosque, they attend uh, the prayers, they would be taught here uh, how to read Arabic, how to learn, speak Arabic, and how to understand the Quran, as well as how to live as a Muslim. For you as a dad, yes. that's very important that they do that. Oh, it's very, very important, yeah. yeah. 
I think that nothing more would upset me if one of my children left the, the faith and went and practiced something else or just did not practice at all. Because I know for a fact, I stand a slight chance of going to heaven, a very slight chance. It depends on God's mercy. But I know my child who has abandoned his religion would never ever get to it. We don't take it for granted as Muslims that we are, are going to be, we are going to go to heaven. We have to work at it. And while the open day is important for the mosque, one particular open day is memorable for Ahmed and his wife Rima. And on the day he was chatting away to, was it a Mormon guy? Um, More, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and he was just chatting away to him and then I could hear them start talking about like women's issues and divorce and like women's rights and everything. And I was like, hold up, this is my cup of tea. You can't have a man talking about women's rights there. So she <laughs> rudely cut into our conversation. <laughs> there he kind of eventually left and was just us two chatting away for like ages I suppose when when you come from a Muslim background there's no such thing as dating for like long periods of time because I suppose your whole intention there when it comes to 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 like being with someone is you know marriage ultimately so I was being like a right old you know yo you can't we're not dating and blah blah and I eventually was thinking I was being smart I said hey here's my dad's number I gave him a call thinking it would scare him off because I was like here there's not a chance and he did call my dad didn't he that's my side sorry. I don't know what happened over there. Yeah, it was that's pretty much how we met. Um it was it was all very new to me uh talking to Rima and doing things uh, according to Islam. But for me like I'd never dated before. Do you know the kind of way so I was being very Muslim about it in a way whereas I think Ahmed was way more relaxed. Something. Yeah, and the the main thing was is that it wasn't forced. A lot of the time people think Muslim marriages are arranged. How we went about things and how our marriage came about was, it was all down to her and her parents. So I first had to meet her parents and they had to get a good look at me, see how if I'm not, you know, yeah, messing about <laughs> or anything like that. And if they were happy with me, then the final decision then would be on Rima, like if she wanted to go ahead with it. Her parents didn't say, you know, oh, you have to get married to such and such a guy. They're very fair about it. Just yeah. like my parents, uh, they didn't. They said, you know, are you sure you want to go through with this? No, but <laughs> I, like, like I was saying, the ball was kind of in my court the whole time. Yeah. And that's something I'm constantly trying to have to like say to people like, no, it wasn't arranged. No, it wasn't forced. No, I actually like the guy. And just trying to like remove that misconception that anyone who's Muslim and married isn't happily married. And they're just like stuck there because of like... They're elders of the community, do you know the kind of way? When you both met first and you could tell there was instant chemistry and all of that, was it important though that you both had similar values? It was the Muslim faith, was that important? I suppose for me, that was really important for me at the end of the day because like as a practicing Muslim woman, I wanted someone who was on my level that would kind of give me my rights Islamically as well as like by law. So I wasn't like giving up any part of me that I felt was special to me whereas that might be completely different to another Muslim woman out there who would marry like a non-Muslim or whatever but I suppose for me yeah that was essential and that it's the same foundation it's the same basis on if I was practicing something I'd want to have my partner practicing it with me and kind of being kind of a pillar to lean on and kind of support your to it because at the end of the day my faith, my faith was important to me and as a growing kind of Muslim and kind of still learning about it I want someone that would support me in my learning and in my kind of gaining of knowledge and in my prayers and everything. Just someone that can mirror that image of myself that I was trying to reflect almost. Okay. I'd say most recent years, the last five or six years, I started to practice my faith a bit more and uh, try and clear out a lot of, you know, say a couple of bad habits I may have had before. And 
when getting back to your faith, you also want someone to help support you to keep that faith as well. And it's more of a way of life for us yeah, daily. There's a point where it kind of becomes your identity and it's, it's who you are. That's Ahmed and Rima, a young Muslim couple from Dublin. For them and their families, faith remains a central concern. After the break, we will meet families where the practice of faith has been lost between one generation and the next. Like Family with Brenda Donoghue, rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash like family. Like Family. Tweet at Brenda Donoghue. Welcome back to this edition of Like Family. I travelled to a small village near Lifford in Donegal to meet Magella and her family. Nanny, um, what is that? Well, that's just a wee altar with um, the Holy Family. In the parish church next door to their home, Magella explains about the Holy Family to her three granddaughters, the children of her own daughter, Stephanie. It's just to let people know that they're a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back in Steph's kitchen, Magella explains the world of faith she grew up in. Well, religion was all important at that time because, like, from you were no age, you would have had to say your morning prayers, then your night prayers, and your prayer to your guardian angel. The rosary was said from as far back as I can remember every single evening in the house. And even when we were on holidays... And me and my cousins used to be roaming about the beach at night and we would think, if we get far enough up this beach, they won't send for us, you know, for the rosary. <laughs> but they always did. We were always fine, no matter how far away we were. And then school, you know, I mean, you had your catechism and you had to learn the questions by rote, you know, who is God and what is God and what's a, what's a mortal sin and what's a venial sin. And, but even then, like when you were making your first communion, then the priest came down and... He did. He asked you questions and your catechism, and you were quick. And you know, in case you didn't get them right, <laughs> you wouldn't get making your first communion. Mm. There was uh, devotions on at six o'clock on a Sunday. You went to them, and and then they had the forty hours where there was exposition of the Blessed Sacrament for forty hours, and the altar was all decorated with flowers and candles, and and you went, and you didn't open your mouth, you didn't speak because the exposition was there, and our Lord was in the altar, and you. You know, if you even moved wrong, you got a look. It was a big, big part of our of our lives, really. I wish we had a camera here because I'm looking at your daughter <laughs> Steph's face as you're explaining that. What are you thinking, Steph? I don't know what any. I honestly don't know what any of that stuff is. I mean, I've heard of the catechism, but mm. I don't. You know, I don't. We'd none of that when I was at school. There was nothing like that, and you, I didn't have to go to all those things. No. I remember going to things with my nanny. Would they would do it every Sunday or every couple of weeks where there'd be a big gold thing up in the altar? That's oh, the 40 hours. Well, I didn't mind going to that because there was no talking. You just kind of sat there. I don't even think there was a priest well, they leading it. The rosary. They did. They said the rosary and they, they had uh, what they call benediction. No, I don't know. Mm. Well, maybe it was the same thing. I don't remember. Do you feel that was an awful lot? Or there was a lot of fear in what she just said there about mm. making sure you didn't look the wrong way when you were in the church? It just sounds like so much regimented is the word that mm. kind of jumps out at me. That kind of having to do the rosary every single night and having to do, you know, going to all the different things. 
Who in the family kept the religious faith going? Mostly it would have been uh, my mum. My dad was, he was religious, but he wouldn't have been just quite as in your face with it, sure he wouldn't as... Well, I wouldn't remember my granddad that well. A lot of people would say that, you know, when the, with the whole argument about the women not being allowed to take part in church and not being allowed to become priests. They say there wouldn't be a church if it hadn't been for the women making sure that all the kids were there and bringing the whole family to it. Aye, it would have been it would have been the women, you know, and the women had hard lives too then, you know, and it was it was really. Um, it was it was really the only comfort in many ways that they had, you know, and even the church wasn't very kind to them. Despite their faith, you know, even even my mother, she talked about women who were having children year after year and they would go to the priest and the priest was more or less telling them, you know, you made your vows and if your husband wants to be in his own room, that's where he's to be. You know, she knew a few people that did die in childbirth because of that and she felt that was wrong. I think especially in older years, she was starting to question a wee bit. It wasn't that long ago. It's hard to believe, like it is hard to believe, like because it does sound so alien. The changes have been so huge in the last 20 or 30 years since I was born. Mm. I mean, the Eighth Amendment was put in in 1983, which was the year I was born. And who would have thought then, you know, what would have happened this year? So listening to what it does, it, do, it doesn't sound real. You know, it just it's, it's hard to wrap your head around. They accepted things as God's will. Mm. You know, they did accept and believe that I suppose that this was to be a veil of tears, <laughs> which for most people it is in one way or the other. But they got on with it, you know, when they, they, they had their rosary and their devotions and their novenas and all the rest of it. But in um, a way, is that all, well, that's what they had, you know. Women didn't get jobs. It was the thing that you did and it was probably a relief in between having... 12 kids and washing all them clothes and cooking and cleaning and looking after your husband. Do you know, it probably was nice to get together with other women. Now we'd still do it, but it's, you know, we have book clubs. Is there an element to that, to it? I mean, there is because you you feel part of something. Mm. When I go to Mass or, or, or whatever, I feel, and I meet people there, I feel part of the parish. So Magella, where are you at now? with your own faith well i mean my my faith to me it's it's still important i mean i've had difficulties in my life i've had um problems with alcohol which were very bad and and at one time lost practically everything um and i do believe that 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 my god in a way brought me back from the brink you know and helped me to get back on my feet and help me to to move on and, and do more courses and get more education and you know work now with people who who have drug alcohol and, and gambling problems that's what I do so let me be clear you work as an addiction counselor yeah yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay and it meant also that I was able to be a mother which is the most important thing to my children because that wasn't happening can you explain a little more how your faith would have helped you get back on track? Um, it was just the belief that that um, something more was was meant for me. That you know that I was putting this earth for something more than than the way I was living, and that God was God was there. He was looking down at me. He was He was reaching out, if you like. It was just always the belief that there was something there was something more. There was something more for, to life, and it was. It was to do with God and the universe and, and, you know, something greater than me. So, Magella, your faith's obviously very important mm-hmm. to you. It got you through a dark period. Mm-hmm. And then Steph says, not for me, Mum, the church. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that, Steph. What happened? Um, I just remember when I was in secondary school, really kind of being like, that's it, right? I'm not, I don't 
I don't go to mass anymore. <laughs> Pretty much, you know. Okay, so would you not believe in anything? Oh, you see, I'm not. I'm not atheist. No. I'm not. I'm not atheist, and I'm not. I suppose I'm agnostic. I'd like to think of myself as spiritual. You know, I there might be a god. I'm not saying there isn't a god. I just don't. I don't feel the need to be a part of a church, or I don't feel any sort of a draw to it. But none of my children are christened and I didn't get married in a Catholic church and it never even entered my head like it just wasn't it wasn't a well we won't we situation it was a no why would we you know when other people asked so obviously some people in the family kind of didn't push it or didn't you know they, they knew there was no point other people would have you know friends but would you not have the christening but sure would you not just you know give everybody the day out <laughs> and I say no I won't you know like why would I and after all my wax and lyrical about the church and giving off stink about them and you know all the different uh, scandals that came out and everything like there's no way I could have there's no way I could have stood up in a church and christened my kids then after being so outspoken about how I wasn't a Catholic anymore and that I wasn't taking part in the church. And Magella when Steph said right I've had enough that's not for me Mm. how did you feel? Um, I just remember going one Sunday thinking I didn't hear her going out to mass and uh Going up the Sorry, stairs. Steph has just rolled her eyes. <laughs> I went up the stairs. Twelve o'clock. I probably wasn't up yet. Yeah. I went up the stairs and she was still lying in the bed and she wouldn't get out of it. And actually, my mum was still alive at the time and we were we were living with her. And I think I was more worried about what my mother would say if she found out more than I was annoyed. I probably would have kept it for my nanny as well. You know, I wouldn't have wanted to upset her at the same time. You know, I wouldn't have wanted her to be upset, but I wouldn't have had, um, I wouldn't have been laying it on the line for her and saying, you know, it's all nonsense, it's all rubbish. And it'll be, you know, I never would have questioned her faith. So you have three children, Steph, and none yeah. of them are baptised. No. No. Officially. 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 <laughs> Officially. I'm sure they've all been baptised several times, okay, actually. so can I come to Granny here? What happened? What do you mean officially? I think that was the one time I did feel a bit, uh, was when she said, Neve, the oldest girl wasn't going to be baptised. I did feel a bit, oh my God. I think that was the one time I did feel hurt or I don't know what way I felt. Though. I wasn't pleased, put it that way. Um, but then I thought, sure, why would she, you know? And, and so I just baptised her myself. <laughs> Talk me through baptising them. You did it yourself, Magella. Yeah, well, it was just a matter of throwing some water over them and saying a wee blessing. And then a friend of mine, Father James, he, he blessed her too one time. And why was that important to you? I just, I don't know, it just made me feel that they were part of the, the Christian community, I suppose. I mean, Stephanie's baptised too. I just thought it'd be nice if they were as well. I mean, I told her. Well, I didn't do it and not tell her. I told her. No, I don't mind. I'm not, um, like, I'm not anti-religion. So I never said, like, they'll never be baptised or that I, that I wouldn't allow them to be baptised or, you know, I wouldn't allow them to go to mass or church. I'm not against religion. I want them to be tolerant of all religions. I want them to be tolerant of all people. But I, I can't raise them the Catholic faith because I don't consider myself to be a Catholic. How does that make you feel? No, that, I mean, I, I am fine with that. I have been fine with it for a long, long time. And, I, you know, and when Steph was getting married, I mean, it, it was no shock to me that she wasn't getting married in the Catholic Church. And that was fine too, because I respected her reasons for it. You know, she'll barb at me about things and I'll barb back at her, you know. Um, 
I think George Bernard Shaw was an atheist and my Aunt Maureen always told the story about word that he had died came through and my mummy was ironing and she was going, No you'll know whether there's a hell or not. No you'll know. <laughs> And that would have been the kind of her, you know. But you know, she would make fun. You know, if I'm telling the, the ch- kids stories about Adam and Eve or that, she'll say to me, "Oh, you listen to you and them fairy stories again. You know that's all nonsense, don't you?" And uh, and I'd be saying back to her, "Oh, you'll know all about it." But that's it's kind of good natured. For Magella, as a young person, her religion was about faith, family, community, and identity. But now, for both mother and daughter, it is a personal matter. From Donegal to Cork. It was July 9, 1986. Oh, look at the wedding picture. Yeah. I like the beard. That's the Honan Chapel, yeah. yeah. I like the hair on the head more so than the beard. <laughs> um, Peter grew up in a Catholic family and worked Jesus. all his life as a teacher and later principal of a Catholic primary school. He is one of almost half a million Irish people who said in the last census that they had no religious belief. She's uh, she's great. Both very pretty, Brenda, as you can see. Of course. Beautiful smile. And this is Finn making his communion. Absolutely, look at that. Although Peter conformed to religious practice for much of his life, from a very early age, he discovered that he didn't have a personal faith. We had a teacher when I was in school called Mrs. White. And I remember asking her, what is a soul? And she told me that the soul is a white disc next to your heart. And every time you sin, a black blemish appears on it. And that frightened the living daylights out of me. And um, of course, she said that every time you go to confession, you get clean slate. The, you, you confess to Jesus, you tell him all your sins and it, it's white clean. But... Th- and I was only six or seven, and I wasn't gifted, or I wasn't, a, I wasn't some sort of child prodigy genius. I was just a child going, I don't actually believe that. But the same teacher, and she was a great teacher, she took us to the, I think, with the Natural History Museum, and there was a, um, this model of the human anatomy, and there were labels pointing to different parts of the anatomy, and it was totally, it was brilliant. But try as I might to find a label saying soul, There was no label saying soul. And I do remember, and it's funny, and I've never thought about that, you know, until until quite recently, you know, as to where, you know, where might my my, um, non-believing self have been born? I think it was in that moment. And then what happened? I would have stopped completely going to mass in my early 20s. Um, and then you play the conformist game again because, you know, you fall in love and you get married. Are you going to get married in the Catholic Church? Yeah, of course I am. Why not? I know. I was just looking at pictures of the Hall of yeah. you and your lovely wife yeah. on your wedding day. So that was obviously in a church. <laughs> we got married in the Holland Chapel in UCC, but I think it had, looking back on it, I think she'd freely admit this, it was more of this romantic idea of going back to UCC to get married than to get married in a church. But I just wanted to, you know, I wanted a happy day for everybody. It didn't kill me to stand up there on the altar. As part of the vows of the marriage ceremony, it says, you know, when you have children that you're going to bring them up in the Catholic faith. How did that sit with you? Uncomfortably, but I did it. Um, I have three children. They were all baptised. They all made their communion. They all made confirmation. And after that, it's up to them. But I don't think any of them practice. So what was the moment where... People knew that you were a non-believer. Did you come out, so to speak? There was no one day where I said, OK, um, that's it, I've finished. I, I suppose there was kind of a progression from lapsed to non-practicing 
to eventually saying, I don't actually believe in any of this. When my last child made his confirmation, the ceremony meant absolutely zilch to me. And I kind of thought, I'll never have to go through this again. And I don't want to go through this again. Yeah. So you got married, you're bringing your children up to get baptized, communion, confirmation, and you're teaching in a Catholic school. Mm. Did you ever just have moments where you went, ah, I can't believe I'm having to conform all this time? Or did you feel you were living a lie? No, it, it, it actually was a little bit easier than you might think. Because when you're contracted to a Catholic school, it's a professional arrangement. So your obligation is to play your part in upholding the Catholic ethos within that school. So then you have to ask yourself, what does that actually mean? Well, as a principal of the school, it means that to ensure that religion is taught for half an hour every day in every class. And I had no problem ensuring that would happen because it was just a question of timetabling. To ensure that the children were prepared for sacraments so that you would assist in the preparation. And again, that was just... So I I went about it professionally, Brenda, even though it did prick my conscience so, so often. Can I be clear? What do you not believe in? I don't believe in God. I don't believe that there is life after death. I can say this now from a position of some authority. When you're facing an oncologist and he tells you you've got a stage four cancer, and, and that's the bad news. Now, the good news is he says it's, you know, th- that I could live for quite a long time yet and I, I totally attend doing so. But when he tells you that, you kind of go, do I actually not believe or do I believe? And it copper fastens the non-believing because I wasn't one bit and I am not one bit afraid of dying. When the time comes and you draw your last breath, that's it. There is nothing afterwards. So many of us go through life, myself included, worrying about what is there afterwards and not kind of realising there's so much in the present. There's so much to be thankful for on a day, on a minute-by-minute basis, on a day-by-day basis. And when you're given news like I was given, it helps you to focus on the the absolute beauty of the now and living in the now. And any kind of preoccupation with the after and the future is a total waste of time. So it has copper fastened to me that there is nothing beyond the last breath. To me, it's not high theology or it's not a a theological discourse. It's just a question of, you ask me a straightforward question, what do I believe in? I believe there is no God. I believe there's no hereafter. And I'm so happy that I can actually say that now without any feelings of hypocrisy at all. All your life, you've marked important uh, occasions through the church, communion, confirmation, weddings, etc., what about death? What are your thoughts on that? Are you going to have a church funeral? Have you thought about it? And um, I'm not preempting your your no, past or anything. Please don't, please don't. Neither neither will I. But I think by even by answering the question, I could be so. I'm on dodgy ground, but yeah. I'm, I know it's a good question. Jerry and I have discussed it. When the time does come, my coffin will not enter a church. That is one thing I'm absolutely certain about. It will go hopefully to a crematorium where hopefully there'll be music, there'll be laughter, there'll be nobody crying, there'll be nobody wearing black, there'll be hopefully people will celebrate. You see that the whole idea of of leading a good life, I think, is so important. And, you know, 
somebody asked me recently to challenge me on this in a pub. All the best arguments take place in a pub. But a good friend of mine said to me, you could not be an atheist because you're too spiritual. And, and I'm not spiritual. I don't believe in spirits. I don't believe in ghosts, but I understand what you're saying. I do think a lot about things which people could confuse with being spiritual. And he said, but, you know, your dad died. You were very close to him. And he said, do you just think, and you say he's nowhere now, he's gone. I said, but that doesn't mean memories don't stay. Uh, So I would think about my dad every day. So that doesn't mean his spirit is with me. His memory is with me. And I think there's a a distinction that some people get, it gets blurred at times, but it's very clear in my head. And how would his life have been different if from his early adult life he was able to be true to his non-belief? My life would have been a lot easier if I could have applied for the job that I really wanted, which was primary school teaching, without having to pretend that I believed in God. That did make things difficult. That was Peter Gunning. Thanks to all those who took part in the programme. And thank you for listening. This programme was produced by Eileen Hearn. For more information, check out rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash like family.